0: You are listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple-makers of Jesus by being disciple-makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. That is such such good news on both fronts. Uh, we are so excited to be here. I speak on behalf of my wife and bring greetings from Florence, Alabama, your sister church, the Well Church in Florence. Uh, I've met many of you uh, over the course of the last year at WellCon or different things. And uh, there's still a lot of you I haven't met. And I just want you to know um, that we are so incredibly thankful for you. So incredibly thankful for what God is doing here and what God is doing in the lives of individuals here. Those two right there make over 30 baptisms since August across our network, which is pretty incredible. Uh, We're seeing a lot of people come to faith and getting to celebrate death to life. And we just continue to pray that we never get to a place where we take things like this for granted. True life change. So we're so excited to be here, so excited to dig into the word. If you got your Bible, you can open up to the book of Romans chapter one. We're gonna look at two simple verses this morning that maybe you've read a million times in your life. We just wanna lean into them this morning and see ultimately what, what God has in store for us from his word. And as we begin, as we begin, I want us to ask and answer a really, really simple question. This is the point across the board this morning. We're starting here, we will end here, write it down. I want us to process this together. It's a simple question. What does my life look like today if Jesus gets his way? What does my life look like today if Jesus gets his way? In Romans chapter one, 16 and 17, Paul's building the foundation. It's in his introduction. To the church, to the church at Rome. He's building the foundation upon which the rest of this letter is going to be written. This is his thesis statement for the entire book. From the very beginning, he wants the church in Rome, a place where it was very, very, very difficult to be a follower of Jesus, to be open about following Jesus, a place that it was difficult to share about following Jesus. He wanted them, these folks in this specific church, to know that above all else, He's not ashamed of this gospel. And they shouldn't be either. If you got your copy of God's Word,' I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning, in Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, it says this: "For I, Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel." For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We understand what being ashamed means. It's a a word that I'm sure we know very, very well. If you live any amount of time at all, you understand shame and being ashamed. It means reluctant to do something out of fear of embarrassment or fear of humiliation. The truth of the matter is, we live in a culture that feeds off shame. A culture that publishes shame. We have talk shows devoted to, to exposing shame. Actually, our culture has gone so far that, 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 that there are magazines that make up stories just to have the appearance of shame. And then they put them in your way in the grocery store aisle so that you see like random headlines. You're like, oh, I didn't know that was true. Oh, I didn't know that that person was dating that person and they're married to that other person. How is that possible? We have websites that allow us to comment on other people's shame. Our culture loves cancel culture until cancel culture cancels you, right? That's the world we live in. That's the nature of our culture for sure. This morning, this morning when it comes to shame, when it comes to this idea, understanding ultimately what shame means, the truth is we don't have to think very hard Truth is, we understand it very, very, very well. We felt that feeling before. We've all felt it numerous points in our life, I'm sure. Uh, It's awful, no one likes it. You start getting all self-conscious, right? We feel angry, we feel singled out, we feel alone, we feel isolated, and in many ways, we'll do anything and everything in our power to ensure that we never feel that way again. I don't want to feel ashamed. So we constantly are watching what we say, constantly watching what we do, constantly watching what we wear in order to try to just fit in as as cleanly as we can. We keep a close check on our friends and our acquaintances and our conversations in order to keep from feeling those feelings, those deep and terrible feelings of shame and embarrassment. And the truth is this morning that's not just in our normal everyday life. That moves into our spiritual, our Christian life as well. Those same feelings are no different there. Because whether we recognize it or not this morning, in many ways we're in the minority as followers of Jesus. The majority of the world doesn't agree with what we believe is morally true. And with that being the case this morning, we we tend to clam up. We tend to 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 fight this, this tendency to hide out or stay quiet or mask our faith or avoid tricky or dangerous subjects. And that's where we connect back this morning to these two verses from Paul, from God's word in Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. They're huge verses. And while there's absolutely no way we can totally unpack them this morning, I want us to look at them in the context of a picture of Paul's heart. What was he trying to say in the context of the depths of his heart? See, in these verses, he's making a statement about his personal resolve and and how he lives his life. And it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal what he says here because in the first century, the gospel was synonymous with shame. Think about it. Poor Jewish carpenter was crucified. He was nailed to a cross. He's killed on that cross. It starts what seems to be, from the outside looking in, just another sect of Judaism, of which there were already multiple. Not involving the intellectual elites, not involving the powers of the world, not involving those who had the power to move and shape culture. No, 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 no. It was not culturally beneficial to be a follower of Jesus in the first century. As a matter of fact, go around and start talking about eating flesh and drinking blood, and it doesn't help your church growth statistics. It's a little odd. It was a little different. It was not a huge draw. As a matter of fact, if we look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see that Paul understood that the gospel was associated with shame in the culture in the first century. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. He said, listen, I recognize the gospel is folly. It's foolishness to the world. He wasn't surprised by this. He wasn't taken aback by this. And more importantly, he wasn't affected by it either. Because the reality is... That when Paul encountered Christ, when he encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ, he got a radically different picture of shame. Because he realized for the first time. He realized in that moment, for the very first time, that all of the things the world had to offer. That all of the things that he had lived his life for to that point, all the power and prestige he had amassed. He realized that all of those things were ultimately evidence of his rebellion against God. And there, in that moment, he found real shame. In that moment, he found eternal shame. He came face to face with, with Jesus on that road to Damascus and Jesus said to him this is who I am I am Jesus the one you are persecuting and Paul experienced the shame of his sin front and center when he encountered Jesus and then Jesus did the incredible in Paul's life by covering that shame in salvation And in that moment, something miraculous happened, right? Paul went from being rejected by God to being accepted by God. In that moment, he went from being dirty before God to clean before God, to guilty before God, to innocent before God, ultimately shamed before God because of his sin, to honored before God because of the righteousness imputed on his soul by the blood of Jesus. And because of Paul's experience, his real life experience with the miraculous gospel of Jesus Christ, he says here in Romans 1, 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. As a matter of fact, he almost, you can almost hear him in the tone of this letter saying, why would I be ashamed of this gospel that saved my soul? No matter what the world would have to say, no matter what the culture outside the walls of the church would want to say this morning about the gospel, the truth is we too no longer stand ashamed. No matter how deep your sin was, no matter how dark your past was, I remind you this morning, please do not miss this, no matter how deep your sin is this morning, no matter how dark your past is, no matter how bad you've messed up or made a mess of your situation, no matter what you bring into the room this morning, I want you to understand that Jesus Christ has taken all of your shame upon himself. As a re- and as a result, you can stand and say, as Paul says, I am not, nor will I ever be ashamed of this gospel that removes my shame and replaces it with righteous, merciful, gracious hope. That's the good news of the gospel this morning, that we're not a people who come into the room burdened by shame and guilt in sin, but instead we're a people who come into the room celebrating the fact that even though we, we bring our sinfulness to the cross of Jesus, we are forgiven at that cross. There is hope to be found, and that makes us, and it should make us feel really, really great today. It should make us feel great. And the truth of the matter is we will say it, right? We will say it. I am not ashamed. We will declare it. We will sing it. But when we leave here today, when we walk out these doors today, ultimately our lives will declare whether or not that's true. You see, if the the gospel is truly good news, it must be shared news. It's so natural in every other area of our life. When we receive good news, what do we do? Some of you probably got some good news this week, and what did you do? You shared it. We find people important to us, we share it. We find people we don't even know and we share it, right? When Julie, my wife and I found out that we were pregnant, we've got three children, right? So when we found out that Julie was pregnant, we could not wait to share it. And then there comes this point along in the pregnancy where you go to the doctor and they're like, congratulations, it's a girl. And we like run out of that office and immediately get on the phone like, hey, mom, dad, guess what? It's a girl. Good news, we're having a girl. And then when that baby is born, we hold that baby, we love on that baby, and then we immediately take pictures of that baby and tell the world, look at my baby. She is here and she is healthy and we are blessed. This is good news and I wanna share this news. For you, maybe it was the receiving of a scholarship or the receiving of a promotion or, or maybe you just got like free coffee this week and you're like, this is good news, I need to share this news. When we get good news, we share good news, right? We do it, that's, that's what we do and ultimately that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, this is great news. Why would, I, why would I be ashamed of this news? Why would I hold this to myself? See, when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he's saying it in the context of sharing, with, sharing it with others. And yet, when we think about witnessing, oh, I said the W word. When we think about witnessing, we think, we think things to, to ourselves like, you know what, I can't share because... People are going to think I'm crazy. They won't believe it. They've heard it before. I don't know enough. And a million other excuses that come into our mind. But understand this morning what those thoughts truly are. Understand this morning that, that all of those thoughts and many others like them are ultimately just thoughts of fear and shame. We don't talk about things we're ashamed of. As a matter of fact, we draw a shame line in our life, and, and maybe with the with the the exception of just a few people, we don't cross it. We don't share about things we're ashamed of. I'm an Auburn football fan. I'm an Auburn graduate. I know that that probably sits a little different in this room. I don't share about Auburn football. I'm ashamed of it. Right? We lost to South Carolina. We don't share about it. We draw the line. I'll never cross this line for fear of what others are going to think of me. But Paul says we're not ashamed. Paul says the opposite. We have a different view of shame. Paul says Christ has covered all of our shame. So when it comes to sharing, why do we allow our fear and shame to drive the narrative when salvation is so desperately needed? We heard two stories this morning and we know there are thousands of others in this city who need that same hope. So why do we allow shame to drive the narrative when salvation is so desperately needed? Look at what Paul says again in 116. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then right there, for it, for it. Is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see what he said there? Writing this this letter to the church in Rome, surrounded by these powerful philosophies and ideologies. The church, in the midst of this powerful Roman empire. He says, hey, understand that not one of these philosophies not one of these ideologies, not even the most powerful nation the world has ever known has the power to save people from their sins. Not one of them. What I want us to understand this morning is the same is true today. Like the, 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 the same is absolutely true. No modern ideology, no modern philosophy, no TikTok influencer, nobody has the power to save. The gospel alone is the power of God for salvation. There is nothing else. It is, in verse 16 right there, is in the singular form. Which means he says, eternal help comes from no one else. It comes from nowhere else. It comes from the gospel alone. And that gospel that Paul is talking about is the good news that the just and gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against that sin on the cross and ultimately show his power over sin and death in Christ's resurrection from the dead so that all who have faith in him would be reconciled to God forevermore. He became something we could not be, died a death we should have died, rose again providing us a hope we cannot lose. That's the gospel. So, Whether you've been a believer for a long time or a short period of time this morning, or maybe you're just checking this Christianity stuff out, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, don't forget the incredible joy of your salvation. That was true in Paul's life. That moment on the road to Damascus changed him because Christ stepped in and changed him. And what I want us to understand this morning is as we get further and further from our experience with Jesus where he radically and miraculously moves us as Ephesians chapter two tells us from death to life and we forget the joy of our salvation. See, one of the enemy's most powerful tools in his arsenal is this this word shame. Shame tries to get us to abandon the path of obedience and courage and truth and love that ultimately this gospel calls us to. To leave behind the boldness of our witness, but don't miss how Paul responds to the shame. If you've got your Bible open still, just look back to verse 14. Verse 14, he says this. Just before he declares that he's not ashamed, he says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. And in verse 15, he says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He says, listen, I recognize that the word of God, the the gospel is folly. It's foolishness. It brings shame. But I'm indebted to them. I'm indebted to those that do not know the power of this gospel. I've got no choice but to share this good news with them. And beyond that, beyond being indebted, beyond being obligated, as he says, I'm also eager Notice that Paul doesn't run and hide. He doesn't stay away from those who are more philosophical. He didn't stay in Jerusalem or in Antioch where it was safe to be a follower of Jesus because there were many followers of Jesus. No, he didn't sign up to be in 50 Bible studies acting like he's just preparing to share later in his life. No. He said, their shame is nothing. He says, "I I don't really care how they treat me. I don't care if they don't believe my story. I don't care if they throw me out of the city. I don't care if they imprison me. I'm obligated to share with them, and I'm eager to do so. Every Sunday across our network, here in Tuscaloosa, in Florence, and in Huntsville, soon to be in Jacksonville as well, we quote the Great Commission together. And at the end, we declare that as individual churches in this network, Not only do we share the global church's commission, but we have this this deep desire to be disciple makers of Jesus who make so many disciples that we send disciple makers of Jesus to the ends of the earth to make more disciple makers of Jesus, right? We know we're obligated. We know as followers of Jesus, we have an obligation to fulfill the commands of Jesus until he comes back. but are we eager? I wonder if we're eager. See, Paul understood he's obligated. And he also says that I'm eager to do so. There was an urgent eagerness in his life. You we know, go, how's that perspective even possible? How can we live a life that is eager to share our faith? Well, the truth is he was not ashamed and even more was obligated to share because he knew Jesus. He had seen Jesus. He had seen the power of the resurrected Jesus in his own life. He had done what the word calls us to do as individuals. He had tasted and seen that the Lord was good and gracious and holy. And he knew that no beating, no ridicule, no, no, no shipwreck, no sleepless night would ever change that. He knew that he could not lose what Christ had gained him. He knew that his walk with Christ was precious because of the work of Christ in his life. But even more than that, he knew that hell was real. He understood that this is a reality for those who don't know Christ. and He understood that a choice is demanded of everyone. Which created urgency in his eagerness. You see, this morning... It's counterintuitive for people who have been saved by Christ to be ashamed to share the gospel of Christ because they have, like Paul, tasted and seen that Jesus is good. They've tasted and seen him for who he truly is and what he has truly done. It's counterintuitive for people to hear and believe the deep theological truths about Jesus and walk away with no physical, life-altering, fruit-bearing change by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's counterintuitive for us to live our lives protecting what we cannot lose in Christ. Understand this morning, the gospel is not a shame swap. We don't come to the gospel with shame from our sin and just swap it and replace it with the shame or fear of embarrassment that keeps us from boldly sharing what Jesus has done for us. If Jesus is precious and hell is real and a choice is demanded of everybody in this city and everybody that walks on that campus... then that should change the way that we live our lives. It should affect us and move us into urgent action. Our time here on this earth is a short vapor, Scripture tells us. Our time for many of us on this campus is even shorter. Maybe your time in the city is short. So if Jesus is precious and hell is real and a choice is demanded of every individual on the earth, what does that mean for your life this morning? What does that mean for the way in which you view who you live in your res hall with or who you work with or the people in your class, even your professors? What does it mean for even people in the room this morning? See, once we have seen him for who he truly is and we respond to that knowledge, why would we turn away from it? Why would we mask it or hide it? Why would we cower in fear and failure? What are we going to gain elsewhere? And what are, we going to, what are we going to lose? Romans chapter 8 tells us there's nothing, nothing we can do, nor nothing anything else outside of us can do to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So why would we look elsewhere? Understand this. God's plan, God's plan to share this good news of this gospel with the world is just simply save people living as sent people. Save people living as sent people. So I urge you, Church of the Oaks, don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lies of the enemy who's looking to nullify your time here not just here in Tuscaloosa, but your time, your time on the earth. He's, he's wanting to nullify it. The gospel does not bring shame. Sin brings shame. And sin doesn't bring power or purpose. Christ nullified the power of sin through the gospel that brings real power and purpose in our life this morning. So let's be a people that live for the power and the purpose of the gospel and not, not the power and the purpose of the sin that the enemy's trying to entangle us with. So I ask again this morning as we close, what does my life look like if Jesus gets his way? What does my life look like in college if Jesus gets his way? How does it alter my class schedule, my major, where I spend my time, how I spend my resources? What does my life look like in my career if Jesus gets his way? What does my life look like in my family this evening if Jesus gets his way? How does he change me? How does he alter my situation and circumstances. And then I would encourage you as you're answering that question, as we're all answering that question this morning, orienting our lives around being obedient abiders to to this Christ who gave everything for us, our Savior and our Lord. What I wanna encourage you to do is as you hear that, don't wait, respond faithfully. Respond open-handed, respond in obedience. And and frankly, what I I want us to do over the next few moments as we close is to just answer that simple question. And with that same urgent boldness, may we be willing to walk in obedience towards whatever Jesus is calling us to do. This morning, it may be as simple as laying down sin that easily entangles and takes us away from our calling in Christ. God's word says that and if we confess that sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of that sin. We turn from those things. Maybe it's just starting a new discipline this morning. You're like, man, I'm not tasting and seeing that Jesus is good regularly enough. And therefore my perspective is so far off. Maybe it's having a tough conversation this morning. Just dealing with a relationship needs to be mended living peaceably with all people. Maybe it's engaging in a relationship for the sake of sharing the gospel with somebody that you know is already in your sphere of influence and yet you don't know where they stand with Jesus. You're like, Alan, that's gonna be such an awkward conversation. There's gonna be a lot of people in heaven because of awkward awkward conversations. Whatever it is this morning, would you just commit to doing it? So that you and I can truly say what Paul says, we want to be unashamed of this gospel that saved our soul. And as we pray, as we examine our life, if you find this morning, you know what, I I don't necessarily know that I have this same life-giving relationship that these two young ladies declared just so beautifully this morning. I need that forgiveness that Christ brings. I need salvation this morning. Many of us have been there and we want you to know this morning. We all stood in shame before a holy God because of our sin. But even in, that, even in that shame because of our sin, he sent Christ to endure that shame for you. He paid the debt that we owed so that we can now stand with him unashamed as children. Children of God, righteous through the blood of Jesus for all eternity in heaven, in the real place called heaven with Christ. We confess him as Savior Lord. God's word tells us he, he responds in providing that righteousness through salvation to us. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to make yourself right. You just have to give yourself freely to him this morning. And we just ask this morning, let today be the day of salvation for you. Don't wait. As we respond, let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the truth. We're grateful that you have given us son father as we sang earlier we are longing for that day we see you face to face Christ Jesus you who died and rose again on our behalf we long for that day but until that day let us be a people that is so faithfully obedient to what you've called us to that the world knows that Tuscaloosa knows that there is a God who loves them and gave his son up for them father as we respond this morning I pray that by the power of your spirit and each of us individually you are clarifying what our lives look like if Christ gets his way we just simply live the way in which he is calling us to live we purge the things that the spirit of God is showing us to purge to get rid of father pray you're glorified in our decisions, in our response. Father, those that don't know you this morning, I pray by the power of your spirit, you're drawing them to yourself for salvation. May this church walk with them faithfully as they desire to follow you. And you get all the honor and glory this morning as we close Christ and we pray. Would you guys stand with us as we sing and continue to respond to the Lord? Our prayer team is going to be in the back of the room. If you do need to respond or or, or just need somebody to talk to or pray to or pray with, they'll be back there for you at that time. Let's, Let's worship together.